life ever thrown you a curveball that you weren't sure what to do with? You know, the kind where you think someone should really do something about this. Have you ever thought maybe that someone is me and then found yourself on a grand adventure you never saw coming? Me too. As a special needs mom, I have been saddened by what's available to my son. But instead of wallowing in it, I decided to do something about it. Along the way, I'm meeting extraordinary people and having the most wonderful experiences I never thought I'd have. I'm so inspired by what's happening around me that I want to share it all with you. Living Your Legacy is a community where ordinary people who have been called to create something bigger than themselves can come together to be inspired, connect, learn, and live into the legacies they want to see in the world. I'm your host, Michelle Slaney Travato, and this is the Living Your Legacy podcast. Hello, everybody. Michelle Slaney Travato here. I'm super excited to welcome you back to another episode of Living Your Legacy. Today, I want to dig into some really interesting things that can happen to a person on the journey of creating your legacy. And lots of those things might be stuff we don't even really notice right away. And today, you're going to notice them. So we're going to figure out how to help with that. And to help us figure that part out is our guest today. So I would like to take a moment to introduce you to Terry Kerr. Terry is an empowerment coach, and her company is called The Unstuck Duck Coaching. I love it. And she's going to tell us the story of how that name came to be. She works with women who want to play bigger in their lives and their businesses and who want to overcome the muck that's keeping them stuck. And haven't we all been there feeling like we're stuck in the muck? Terry is an executive coach with a master's degree in leadership, as well as a support and results life coach with Be More You, the letter U. She is a facilitator of the playing big model. Tara Moore, and is Dare to Lead trained. We love that. We're going to talk about that. Terry is also a cancer survivor, a hockey mom. She is in Canada. It's a thing. Speaker, artist, and coach, and she lives in Victoria, British Columbia. She is passionate about living life with purpose, on purpose, and empowering women to be the change they want to see in the world. I love all this. Welcome to the call, Terry. So excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Michelle. I'm super excited to be here. Well, Terry, we talked about this just before, and you and I have known each other for a little while, and there's a whole lot of stuff I want to dig into today and get you to share with me what you're doing. But before we dig into all that stuff, I got to know how you got here. So when you were in grade four, you know, kids are in grade four and the teacher says, what do you want to be when you grow up? An empowerment and executive coach, pretty much not on the top 100 list of what kids say they want to be. So there's always a story to how someone got there. Tell us your story. Well, where do I start? I remember that conversation in grade four, actually. We did the, you know, five-year plan. So it was like in five years, I was going to da 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 and I remember when everything went awry. <laughs> I was so clear what it what it was that I wanted for my life. I was going to go to you know graduate. I was going to go to Europe for a year. I was going to go to um, university. I was going to meet a boy. I was going to get married. I was going to have my be married before I was twenty five and have kids before I was thirty. And I was going to have a boy and a girl. Fantastic I, life plan. What happened? My plan when I was in grade, I think it was grade five, I had Mr. Bannerman. So I remember very clearly that <laughs> exercise. And uh, when I was 29 and a half, I had my second son. And I remember being getting my ultrasound and being like, what? No, he's supposed to be a girl. Mm. And that was the first time anything went awry in my big plan. Anyway, fast forward. Uh, so as far as my career, my very squiggly career path, which has been squiggly, um, I used to be a fundraiser. I had many different iterations of me before I was a fundraiser, but I was a fundraiser for a university and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 41. Mm -hmm. When I was off work, I realized that living that crazy life, I mean, before 
before I was diagnosed with cancer, I was the, you know, I, I had two kids in elite hockey. I was working full-time. I did my master's full-time at the same time. I hosted two international students. I was the registrar for our hockey association. I was the tournament coordinator for our hockey association. I was on six boards. I had like, I was in the PTA, like everything, you name it. I was all those things. I was that person, you know, that everybody's just, like, yeah. yeah, that makes me tired. Just listening yeah. to that. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, my body said it was tired and said, yeah, here's a brick to the head. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and at that point it was, it was almost, it was very similar to how I felt when I found out that I wasn't going to have a girl. Wait mm -hmm. a second. I'm not in control. Mm. Wait a second. Hold that thought. Why is world not revolving around me and doing everything that I've expected it to do? Mm -hmm. And so when I, I, I was off work for almost three years. And when I went back to work, um, I, is this a swearing podcast? Oh, you, if you feel like it, you can. <laughs> um, I, I say my give a shit meter broke. I didn't mm -hmm. care anymore. I didn't want to go back to that life. I didn't want to go back to a, you know, 90 hour work week and doing 40 events per year. And so I started getting into trouble at work and, you know, speaking my mind <laughs> and mm. ended up, um, ended up actually getting myself a coach because I wasn't happy and they weren't happy with me. And I was like, you know, there's gotta be a different way. And I started doing a whole bunch of personal and professional development work. They were giving me free reign to fix me. And I took advantage of it. Mm -hmm. So I decided um, to go back to school. Um, not only did I love being coached, I remember sitting there and going, I want to do what you're doing. Like, mm -hmm. I want to help people get out of being stuck. I want to help people get out of these or maybe not get out, but just get more into alignment with who we want to be and what we want to do and have less of, um, you know, of doing what I'm told, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. As a lot of people can relate to that. Yeah. And so I, um, the, the siren call of entrepreneurship called me, um, and really it was about making, making an impact. And I had, I started, I actually decided when I became a coach that I wanted to help cancer survivors that wanted to, you know, that had had that moment of, what is it that, you know, this isn't what I want. I don't know what it is that I want, but this isn't it. And now I'm going back to this life. And what's interesting is my oncologist at the time, she said to me, women in their forties, when they tend to have a diagnosis like this tend to, and I think actually everybody does this, but um, maybe actually, I hope everybody does this when they have an, a situation, they, t they pick up every rock in their riverbed and choose whether they want it in their life or not. So I got rid of the board, the boards I was on. I was, you know, not, I stepped away from the hockey association. Um, I still hosted students because I still had kids in hockey and I still needed to help pay for them. <laughs> so, um, but I was started to learn to be really intentional with how I spent my time and how I spent my, what I wanted. And um, yeah, I picked up every rock in my riverbed and chose what I wanted to keep. A lot of people the first thing that goes is their relationships, you know, the toxic friendships, the, you know, crappy husband, the whatever it is, um, or even living situations, you know, like, you know what, I just don't want to live here anymore. I want to move. And I honestly think that COVID did this for a lot of people. It was, um, it doesn't have to be about getting sick to make a change or to have that aha moment that I want to be something different than I am now, or I want to go in a different direction than what I am now. And that's what I think you and I were going to talk about is creating the experience that you want in your life. Sure am. And I do want to come back to that idea of picking up all the pebbles and making some decisions about that. That's an interesting journey that you took quite a big pivot there, but good on you for recognizing that you were seriously unhappy with what you were going back to and seeking a way to find something else. Because I know lots of people who feel unhappy or stuck and but are not sure what to do. So tell us now, where did the title, The Unstuck Duck, come from? Well, that's, I mean, I said I wanted to help people get unstuck. So I went, when I went to 
school, when I went to Royal, I went to Royal Roads University and did my executive coaching degree. And I was speaking to somebody that was in branding and marketing. And she's like, well, who do you want to help? Like, I was like, I just am, I'm way too fun for Terry Kerr coaching. <laughs> Plus everybody spells my name wrong. So it would just not work. And um, I said, I just want to help people get unstuck. And when my kids were little, their favorite book was called One Duck Stuck. It was about a duck that got stuck in the muck. And no matter what she did, she couldn't get unstuck. And it was a counting book. So like two moose clomped to the duck, no luck, still stuck. Three dragonflies zing to the duck, no luck, still stuck. And when I said that to her, I just want to help people get unstuck. It resonated with me like no luck, still stuck. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. Because really, there is so many metaphors you can use in the duck world. I, you know, there's, I use a lot of foul language. <laughs> right That's hilarious <laughs> you're funny no <laughs> and you know so I have I have I talk about the muck that keeps us stuck all the time and getting in the weeds and and drowning and like the the air is fresher up here you know like my flying v mastermind is one of the examples of what I offer and that's simply the idea of, you know, you don't have to fly by yourself and you don't have to carry, you know, everybody behind you. You can take a break and go to the back of the V and draft on someone else's draft. Right. And um, everybody will hold you up. So the, the unstuck duck was hatched and we had, um, you know, sorry, I just couldn't help myself. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And it's so much fun. I mean, how, why would you not want to build a business that's fun? Like, come on. True come that. On. It's part True of my that. values and what I know I want for my life and creating the experience that I want for my life that I don't sit there and I'm like, yeah, you know, I have no problem having that conversation about everyone. And it's a great, great in, you know, people are like, what's with the ducks? People send me duck stuff all the time. It's awesome. <laughs> I love that. Um, and I love that title. I love how that resonated with you very deeply. Clearly, you made a lot of connections with that in your own life. So why not? That's a great title. I agree. It's definitely unique. It's not one that you normally hear from coaches. So as you got into coaching, did you stick with working with cancer survivors or did things shift for you? They did shift for me. So I realized actually my first couple clients, um, I wasn't ready. It was bringing up stuff. It was bringing up memories of things that I didn't want to remember. Or And I kind of had this like, oh my God, get over it already moment at one point. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's not holding them capable of change and growth and all the things that can come out of it. And I was rescued by the pandemic because I started, <laughs> I became managing director for a big nor a networking organization. And um, through that, decided that I was spending all my time effort and efforts and energy with women entrepreneurs. And their muck was easily relatable as well. And pivoting during the, the pandemic became a thing that I could help people with. And um, so I pivoted into that space. I, I, I'm part of another um, organization. Every time we say pivot, we have to drink. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. The pandemic brought out some really fun parts of my life. Mm, but anyway, indeed. So anyway, we have um, helping people get through that muck, you know. And what's funny is when people started working from home. And the PJs stayed on and having their slippers and the, the siren call of Netflix and, you know, having puppies and dogs and whatever. What happened was people started, you know, sabotaging themselves and their success. And I mean, people do this all the way through. Don't get me wrong. Procrastination is becomes a thing when it's super easy to to be distracted when you're not having to go into the office and sit across from, you know, cubicle mate Joe and, you know, be able to bounce ideas off. And so um, I've just gone with the flow of the way that my business has gone. And as I, um, as I started working with people on procrastination and entrepreneurship and that kind of stuff, the people that I wanted to help to begin with, the women that were stuck, that were sitting there 
checking every rock in their riverbed because of one reason or another, started putting up their hand and saying, I'm not an entrepreneur, but can I talk to you about, I want to run for council or I want to, um, whatever. I've had various clients doing different things, which is where I switched away from the executive coaching and more into the life coaching because the skills are all the skills are the skills, right? The thing, and the thing that people come to you with is never the thing. It's always something deeper. So um, that's when I think about whether would I take a cancer pivot person now? Sure. Absolutely. And I think I'm also much farther past my journey now, you know? Yep. I love, you said so many things there that are amazing. And I want to pick up on some of those threads. First of all, I want to address something that you said, because it's not the way most people would view this. You said, I saw my cancer diagnosis as the best thing that ever happened to me. Now, I'm pretty sure that wasn't what you were thinking the day the diagnosis came in. But how did you get to that place of thinking that? Because most people who receive a, a diagnosis for themselves, a family member, a husband, a child, like it is so easy to let's stay with the water, um, the water thoughts here because we're being ducks. It's so easy to slip boat. under the water and to stay there, feel mm-hmm. like you're drowning all the time. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit about how you got from this is bad, I could die, my body is totally rebelling against me, to that was the best thing that ever happened to me, because that's a journey and quite a process. It is. And um, I think the big thing for me, it actually took another friend being diagnosed while I was diagnosed and leaning in on me for me to be like to realize the stages of grief that come right um and because it it is it's grief it's grief for what was and the stages of grief the denial the anger the you know resentment all those feelings and um i had a, a moment i I was really after, so I was diagnosed in January, 2015. I had 21 rounds of chemo, 28 rounds of radiation, six surgeries. I had um, a very bad reaction to the anti-hormone drugs that you get put on after. Um, And so when I, and and I basically, I fell into quite a depression after that and angry, like angry, like my life was, this is not you know, supposed to be the way that my life was supposed to go. And I remember saying to my husband, I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Tofino and I'm going to stay there. I'm going to scream at the wind till I figure this out. And I was there for probably about five or six days. I went out and just, and it was stormy and gross and beautiful. And the same time, I don't know if any of you, if you've been to Tofino, but it's this magical healing place. And that's my, my version of that. And it was a conversation with my friend who was just every conversation was like, woe is me and da da da. I was like, you know what? How's that working for you? You know, because it's, I found every time I talked about getting sick or being sick or, or bumping into somebody and then I'd get the head tilted. Oh, how are you doing? And I'd be like, Oh, you know, and I was repeating things over and over again. And I was just digging myself deeper into the muck. Every time I talked about it, every time I, I, moaned about it. I mean, and I'm using those terms very um, flippantly um, because that was kind of my feeling about it. But I mean, there's validity to all of it, right? There's validity to every feeling that I had and it wasn't how I wanted to live my life. And so I started, I started thinking about how, and I learned, I mean, I read all the books and all the things, right? Like how is that working for me? Like, how, how is, is this true? And if so, what do I want to create out of it? And, um, you know, yes. Was it true that I had cancer? Did I have any control over that? Absolutely. I mean, I had no control over that. Um, and if I didn't have any control, what, what did I have control of? 
I had control over my own actions, feelings, responses, how I interacted with people. And I started touching in with how people made me feel like I had some friends that were that at that time that it was gossip and it was, you know, snarkiness and mean people. And I was like, wow, you know, I don't even like who I am when I'm around you. I don't like who, um, who, who you are (laughs) to be fair. And I know as I learned and as I spent more time reading books and, and I really tapped into Mel Robbins, um, Mel Robbins, even Jen Sincero, um, that you were a badass. Like I started reading some really great books and Brene Brown, um, and, just having that personal responsibility for, for how I went about life really, really sank in with me. And it wasn't until I did that, that I was like, okay, (laughs) this is, this is the four feet of shit I'm standing in. And I have a metaphor that brought me to that, that I didn't share here yet, but I'm happy to, but it really helps. Um, What do I want to create out of it? And do you mind if I share that actually? Actually, I was just going to say, could you, I'm curious to know. (laughs) <laughs> and I got this from Be More You, from um, one of my coaches, Guy. He's, um, so he, he, okay, I'll just start from the beginning. Imagine you wake up in the, you go to bed one night and you wake up in the morning and you are in a stainless steel box. Okay. There's no windows, no doors, no exits to the room. And you notice on the wall, there's a, there's a light and underneath the light, it says, when this light starts flashing, the walls are going to start closing in. Like, That's weird. Okay. Suddenly the light starts flashing. Now it has your attention. It's like, wait a second, hold the bus. And the trash compactor from Star Wars cart starts coming into your head. And you're like, oh my God, the top. and the walls start moving in. But as they move in, there's two holes that open up in the floor. They're both eight feet deep. Okay. One is filled to the brim with human sewage. The other one's only four feet full. And the walls are closing in. So what are the options? You drown. You get squished. Or you hop into your four feet. Right? And the problem is with humans and our and our behavior, we are always like, well, this isn't right. I should be in Tahiti. This situation isn't what I'm supposed to be. I should be in Tahiti. Like, come on. I'm a good person. I have, you know, a good, I I do good in the world, right? This, this four feet of shit is not okay with me, but these aren't the options, right? And it's not Tahiti. This is what's happened. And my cancer journey, my cancer journey was my four feet of shit. And honestly, my job when I went back to it was my four feet of shit. My, my, all of the choices that I have made that I've stand, that I have found myself in a situation where like, damn it, I wanted a girl. I would never call my son, my four feet of shit. He is my shining light of joy. And (laughs) in the moment I was like, I don't have control. I should be a Tahiti. And so I use that with my clients all the time. It's like, okay, well, you know, yeah, this should be different. Yeah, sure. Okay. But guess what? It's not. So what do you want to create out of it? Because if you just sit there feeling sorry for yourself, you're creating that too, right? You're creating that as that is part of what you're creating in the world, right? How you're reacting, how you're engaging. And, you know, when I think about, how often we stay down there in that like, woe is me, guilt, shame, resentment, all of that stuff that comes up, revenge, you know, like, well, damn it, I'm going to vandalize the place, right? Like if I can't get my way, um, you know, we, 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 it comes out of a place of hurt, of grief, of disappointment, of lack of control. And as we, come to grips with it and accept that, Hey, this is my four feet of shit. Okay. What can I create out of this? You know, there are options. I can plant things, grow a garden. I can, you know, start stomping it down and maybe I can take some from the other one and add it and start stomping it down. And I can finally grow up the beanstalk. Who knows? Right. 
But the point is, is that not until you take action towards what it is that you want, will you be able to actually create the experience that you want in your life. That is a really powerful metaphor. Um, And I would add one word to the list that you put there, blame. Uh, People are really good at blaming everybody else, the world, the situation, the universe, God, whatever it is that you believe in, your spouse, your children, your job, but blame and putting out the responsibility for being in that pit on something else because it absolves them of any need or reason to take action and do something. Um, So here's my question to you because this is a really good one and people end up there. I mean, if you look at the world during COVID, post-pandemic, there's still an awful lot of blame and shame going on. There's still an awful lot of this thing is at fault. This person is at fault. It's not me. I should be in Tahiti and somebody is keeping me from it. Um, How does someone move into that space of, hang on a sec, Maybe I have a role to play in this, good, bad, or otherwise, and I have a role to play in solving it. How? What kind of steps, what kind of actions could people take? What kind of thought processes? What would you advise them to sort of decide how getting from I'm in the pit to what can I do with being in the pit? Very good question. And I think the big thing, it it is a decision. It's a choice and it's a knowing and it's that It's that moment there is, when I look back, I can think of the moments where like the penny dropped or was like, okay. And is it easy to get out of that? No, we are all autopilot on behavior. I was born this way. I was raised this way. This is, you know, and that's, you know, we do, we all have vernacular and words that we use. I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of flipping up the script. Like, what is it that you're saying and catching the words that you're using? Um, that has so words have so much power. Like even just saying, I have to pay my mortgage, right? I have to, that means that you're at the, the mercy of the bank. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, actually I get, I choose to, to pay my mortgage because I prefer a roof over my head. I'm choosing the consequence of having less money in my bank account because I want the roof over my head. That's just, you know, supply, demand, chain, whatever it is. And so having, having that choice moment um, of realizing that we are always in choice, no matter what, how many four feet, how many feet you're standing in, we are in choice. Every single moment of our, our day, the only thing we don't have choice over is whether we breathe or not, right? Or blinking might be, you know, there's some things, right? But, <laughs> you know, but we, I have a choice in every situation. I can have, um, I, I can, cho- and by just choosing to stay stuck, you're, you're choosing to stay stuck. You know, it's like, okay, so how is that working for you? And every time, everything we do, we have, there's, costs and gains to it. Every single thing we do, there's costs and gains. So, um, you know, if I smoke, for example, which I don't, even though I sound a little bit stuffy right now, I don't. Um, when, when I smoke, I'm choosing over, I'm choosing that person that in that immediate satisfaction over the long-term potential harm. Right. But I'm also choosing to pay the, you know, I don't even know how much cigarettes are, but say 10 bucks a pack. I think, uh, who knows? (laughs) The whole whack of money. I'm choosing that over potentially, you know, buying a house. (laughs) Right. And I think the big thing with, with how you asked how, what advice would I give? I don't tend to give advice. I tend to ask a lot of questions. And it's going to be, okay, so how is that working for you? Is that, are you getting the results that you want out of it? Because some people, it's like, yeah, you know what? I I am. Okay. Well, you're choosing that then. And, you know, what do you want to create out of that? You know, I also think when somebody says I need to or have to totally understand what you're saying there. Um, And I am a firm believer in that too. Clearly in the podcast world, I believe words have power. Um, And I think that most of our audience, if we stop to think about it, would also say the same thing, that um, 
words have a lot of power. The thing is, you're right. We go on autopilot and we say things because it's always been said that way in our families, or we grew up hearing it that way. And we don't question it. We don't actually stop to go, huh, why am I saying or doing this? So I guess the point you're making is we should stop to go, huh, why am I saying that? Why, why am I blaming my spouse? Why am I? And I, and two, I think if you put it on the I versus why are you, that's a whole different set of questions and a whole different set of feelings, Yeah, a whole different, you know, sometimes you got, it's a check yourself moment. I call them the check yourself moments where you're like, Oh, wait a minute. I have something to do with that. You think about that blaming the spouse, right? So we talk about, I talk about the eight lane highway all the time. You know, this is the auto, this is the, my automatic response to he does this and therefore I do this and I respond this way. It becomes a pattern. It becomes a habit. It becomes the way things are, right? If at some point we have that, how's this working for me moment. It's also like the, um, the finding Nemo moment when he touches the butt and, you know, Marlon suddenly is no longer able to stay in his safe comforts, the space on the reef, right? And we have these, we're all on these eight lane highways all the time. And as soon as we want something different than what we're getting, so a result that's different than what we're getting, I don't want to have this fight with you anymore. I don't want to despise coming home to you. I don't want to, you know, sleep in different rooms. I don't want to, whatever the relationship, I just using the relationship model, right? Um, at one point, at some point, you got to hack a goat path to a new thing, like get off the highway and start something new. It's the same with like quitting smoking, right? Like it's not going to be easy to do to just all of a sudden change. And, you know, I, we want it to be easy because we're humans, right? We think, oh, yeah, like just quit. Just do the thing, right? But because these neural pathways are so strong in our brain, we don't ever really, it's really hard to get off that highway. So, you know, we go through and we have to hack that goat path with our machete and get through the brambles and the muck and all the, you know, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. And then once you walk that path a little bit and keep doing it and keep doing it, then it becomes a trail and then it becomes a path. It's learning a new way. It's learning a new way of being with the people that you love, with the the way that you, you know, behave. It's, it's changing that up. And then that becomes the, the, the go-to, right? We think about all the changes we've had in our lives, things we've learned in our lives. Very rarely is it a, oh yeah, okay. I'm going to do this different thing. Totally. Perfectly. Very rarely. (laughs) I would go with never, like never, never, ever. Right. And so it's like, you don't just suddenly find a new recipe for life and be like, oh, this is the way I'm going to do it forever. Um, it takes time. It takes patience. It takes kindness for self. It takes kindness. It, it takes being able to say you're sorry. It takes being able to have that difficult conversation and create the experience that you want in that relationship, in whatever it is. I like to use the example, my son, my boys are hockey players, right? And my oldest son, when he was how old would he have been? Maybe 17, 16, 17. He had his career ending injury. Okay. Was not able to play hockey anymore. And we had sent him away to the other side of the country to play hockey when he, um, and he and I are, have always been, we're kind of, we're super similar. So we're the oil, the oil and water type of, you know, we have a vi- we had at that point a very set way of interacting with each other. How's that? <laughs> and he triggered me left, right, and center, and I would respond and blow up, and and it would go both ways. And so he was coming home. I knew that he was going to be hurt. He was not only going to have an injury, but he was not going to be able to have his dream anymore. He wasn't going to be with his friends anymore. He was afraid of what the future had. He'd been on this path on this eight lane highway for so long. And he, you know, his frontal cortex is not fully developed and, you know, he has a head injury. So he had concussions. So anyway, I knew when he came home that my automatic goat, this is after I've done a lot of this work, you know, of choosing. (laughs) Um, I knew when he came home that I had the choice to 
of, of several different versions of mom that I could be, right? I could be the same, same old, same old. Okay, you know what? Let's get We're going to fix it. We're going to get you a tutor. We're going to get you into university. We're going to get you on a different path. Maybe get you new glasses. I don't know what, you know, like, but whatever. Let's just going to do the thing, right? That's option A. Option B is I could be who I wanted to be. I want to look long-term and think, you know, when he is past this and grow and help him grow through this and help him to find his way, I have the opportunity to be the soft place for him to land right now, which is not my way I was always before. But, and sure enough, when he comes home and he's frustrated and angry, was it easy? No, not easy. Because I'm like, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. Let's get going, right? Or I could be like, you know, buddy, I, I get it. Like, how are you feeling? How are you? What can I, how can I help? How can I listen? How can I support you in, in other ways? You want to just sit. Can we just sit together? And it means that every single time choosing to be different means that every single time that situation comes along, we have the opportunity to react in a different way every single time. So even when it comes back to that relationship model conversation we were talking about, you know, like it may mean saying, you know, I don't want to be fight, fighting with you all the time. And if the husband who is not doing any different, any work, right, he's going to respond the way he's always responded. And everybody is always responding the way that we've always responded, right? It takes that tiny little steps. It's tiny, tiny, tiny little changes and steps. So, so I love everything you just said. Um, and I want to come back to that because the eight lane highway metaphor is so appropriate. You think about being on any highway, how many exits do you pass and not even notice really? Cause it's not the one you're looking for, right? Yeah. You just blow right by them and maybe get irritated at the person who slows down to get in the exit lane. Uh, really, right? Like we just blow right by them. And so sometimes the world provides us with those exit paths or at least an exit lane um, to get off the highway and we need to pay attention. I also think you're right. Exiting off the highway isn't onto some smooth sailing, perfectly paved space. It's usually like a dirt road that has potholes that can swallow you. Yeah. That will like take out your car. Yeah. You have to navigate a whole new thing, a whole new way, especially if you've never driven on dirt roads with potholes that can swallow your entire car. I personally have, so I know what that's like. Um, and you really need to navigate life differently in that case, right? You got to think about all the rocks that are pinging up and the paint chips you're going to have on your car and, um, you know, whether I navigate around it, do I slow right down and kind of ease my way over it? Like, how do I do this? Those are some great questions. And I love what you said there. It's about when you're in that pile of muck, you're in your forefeet, having that difficult conversation with yourself first. How am I engaging with all this? Am I on auto response? What is my auto response? Like being aware of what that, how we've always done everything the same way. This is it. This is our lives. This is how we engage with the world. This is how I am. Okay. So we can look at why, how am I, how I am? Like, how did I get there? So that's a good thing to do, but also to look at what else can I do? That is such a powerful question. Like if you just stop for a minute and think, what else can I do here? Hmm. That will lead you to some action plans. And then I love what you said too about who am I being in this moment? And I ask myself that lots as a special needs mom, as a former school teacher, um, you know, who do I want to be in this moment? You've said something I find that offensive. Do I go on the attack? Do I, how, what do I want to do? Do I want to alienate you? Do I want to help you to seek understanding? Because by alienating you, you will never understand where I'm coming from because now you're going to dig in on your position, right? Mm -hmm. Who do I want to be right now in this moment? How can I seek a win-win or win-draw? Like, how am I going to escape with me okay like you were talking about earlier with some of those toxic friends, you're like, I don't like me when I'm around you. And now, frankly, I don't really like you all that much. Right. So how do I, maybe I can't, and I can't change my friend if they don't want to do that. So there's the nil, 
What do I need to do there? How do I keep me in alignment? What's important to me? Those are really good questions. And I don't mean that from a financial perspective, more of a values perspective. What things are important in my life? You alluded to that earlier. Fun is very important to you. And so you want to make sure that you're building that in where you go. And I think that's part of the reason you and I have always gotten along so well, because I have said forever, I need more fun in my life. I like having fun um, and laughing and all those kinds of things. And making that decision, because you're right, kids push your buttons, uh, your spouse pushes your buttons, your parents push your buttons, your boss at work pushes your buttons. Like there's always the dog knows exactly when to bark that pushes your buttons. So how do you move from that space to I, who am I in this moment? And how can I change what I'm doing to create the result I mostly want to see again, can't change how your spouse responds to things, but the result I mostly want to see. So the next question is what result do I want to see? Right. Great questions to be asking yourself. And I love that you looked at your cancer diagnosis after the fact. And you're absolutely right. You do have to go through that entire process of grieving, of realizing that sometimes we're not in control, which is really hard for those of us who like to be in control. Um, right. So grieving that, and then coming back to that stream metaphor, all of a sudden you have to hit pause on everything in your life when you've had a diagnosis or you hit some major roadblock in your life. Like for example, the pandemic, the world pushes the pause button or your body pushes the pause button. And so you have to stop doing the things you hadn't really thought about doing on your eight lane highway. I'm loving how I'm just, do you like that? I'm just mixing up all those metaphors and streaming one right into the other. Welcome to my life. And <laughs> Right. So you're all of a sudden the, the world is like on this eight lane highway, I'm about to put up a set of streetlights and they're all red. You need to stop. Mm -hmm. And now you get to decide because sometimes in the rush to keep going, right, you're trying to keep up with traffic, you're moving at a fast pace. You don't stop to question, why am I doing all this? You're just doing it. Mm -hmm. And then when you have this forced stop, you, you get a chance to think, Hmm. Do I want to continue? Or maybe I don't want to be on an eight lane highway. Maybe I'd really like to be on a country road somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I need to decide which things I am going to start saying no to. Which things will I say? Thank you so much for this opportunity. I have enjoyed it. It's time for somebody else to take that on so that I can go for focus somewhere else. So those are some great turning points. Now, you also talked a lot about creating the experience you want to see, because so far we've talked about all the things you don't want, recognizing all the things you don't want to see and looking at, I love one of the things you wrote here in the show notes that you gave me, uh, your zone of genius is helping people align with the wisest version of themselves so they don't go through life living someone else's dream. I want to dig into that little piece, living someone else's dream, because I bet there's lots of our listeners out there who may find this very enlightening. So talk about what that is. How would you know if you're living someone else's dream? Okay. I have buckets, <laughs> buckets to pull from here. Um, I think the very first, you know, there, there's, there's, there's like you, you started to say about how, um, you know, creating what you want is about what you don't want. And those are absolutely flags, red flags. Life is covered with red flags, um, things that you don't want. And sometimes it's like me and my friends. I'm like, I, don't, I just don't want to be like this anymore. Like, I just don't. And then the next question is, what do I want? What kind of friend do I want? And sometimes it's just be that friend. You just need to be that friend. Or you need to say, okay, so you know what? I don't like who you're being. You don't have to say it out loud. You can just start asking different questions and get curious about what's really going on here. Like what's really going on? And people soften like butter when you ask that question. So, but when it comes to aligning, aligning with what you want, 
I feel like you asked me a really great question in there and I kind of lost it because I got stuck in my buckets. So can you repeat the question just so that I am on the It was about that people find themselves living someone else's dream. How would you know that? Like, how do you know if that's what's happening to you? Mm -hmm. And Okay, so some people would think that that's about work, right? Building somebody else's business, putting money in somebody else's pocket. Some people, you know, would say that. And, and, and I think entrepreneurs often feel that they're, that's why they've gone into entrepreneurship because they don't want to build someone else's dream. Right. Um, but sometimes it's about when we get stuck being all things to all people and not checking in to see what energizes us. Um, going back to that relationship idea, if you're constantly, and I think about even pre-cancer me, right? So I'm busting my butt working like a thousand hours a week. It's gone up every time I've started talking about it. It was at 40, now it's at 90, now it's at a thousand. That's what it felt like, right? And doing all this stuff for somebody else that was paying me quite well in exchange, right? Um, At the cost of my energy, my life, my health, what ended up becoming my health, right? Um, And I loved it for quite a lot of time. I loved it. I loved that job. It was great. It was fun. I was doing really great, amazing things. And every now and then I'd bump into somebody that was awesome. And then it came down to me saying, having a conversation with my coach. And she's like, tell me all the things that you, this is when I was not feeling that I loved it anymore. What do you love about your job? And I was like, I love my window in my office. Like, I love my office. I love that I have like a huge whiteboard and I can doodle on it and I can use all the different colored pens. Like it was like these, I love, honestly, I like some of the people that I work with. I like that I have the flexibility. And it was in those questions that I was going, wow, not a single thing is about the actual job that I do. It was all situational. Right. And now in my office at home, I have a big ass whiteboard and I have all the screens and I have an amazing window and I have great fur coworker, furry coworker that I love. And I get to interact with whoever I want at any time that I want in intentional ways, as opposed to not being intentional and having to bump into Joe cubicle worker, at you know, that, you know, picks his nose when nobody's looking. So (laughs) I think when it comes to alignment, it's about asking what is, what is, what brings me joy? Mel Robbins says it best when she's like, does it energize you or deplete you? Like when you are, whoever you're talking to, do they energize you or deplete you? Does this conversation energize you or deplete you? Does, does this particular, you know, whether it's a job or, you know, where you live, even making small, like I paint the room if it doesn't bring you joy, right? Like choosing joy, choosing gratitude, choosing to be curious, choosing the good things in life, choosing the things that bring you joy in the tiniest little thing is about intentionally aligning with what it is that you want and creating the experience that you want. And even to the point, like, I remember just when I was growing up, my mom drank Earl Grey tea. Okay. All the time. It was always Earl Grey tea with honey. And whenever I would go and somebody would say, you want some tea? I was like, no, no, I don't like tea. Right. Cause that was my only experience with tea. I only knew about Earl Grey tea. It wasn't until I decided I was at a girlfriend's house who made me a cup of tea and handed it to me that I realized there was a different kind of tea. And I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty good. She's like, do you want honey? I'm like, no, no, I don't want honey, <laughs> but I know I like brown sugar. And I'm, so I ended up going out and buying all different kinds of teas. I, I went on a tea expedition to see what kind of tea I wanted. That's being intentional, right? With what I, I mean, it's a very simple metaphor because I have only ever known the one thing, right? And, and knowing that going forward, I want something different. I didn't know that I liked tea, but I knew I didn't like coffee and for me, it was simply a social thing because everybody was always asking me out for coffee or whatever that I would go. And that's how it ended up working. Right. 
So I found that once I got intentional about what kind of tea I wanted, then I suddenly it opened up a whole new world. Now I'm thinking I'm going to start a TikTok channel on tea and on my different on my different mugs that I have. Like this mug, it says best mom ever, which you would think is really sweet that I got that from my kids, but no, I bought it for myself. Because I'm the best you mom did ever. That. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a whole array of, of tea mugs, but you know, it became a thing for me. Was that an eight-lane highway? Nope. I do think, though, that your tea journey could lead you to an eight-lane highway. And I think that's some very important advice there. You know, maybe not take on the biggest, baddest thing in your life out of the gate to test out this new theory. Um, Maybe start with, I've only ever had one kind of tea. Maybe I need to see if there's some others. Or I've only ever had certain kind of coffee and you know, maybe there's some others, or I've only been to this particular coffee shop and only ever ordered this particular coffee. Maybe I need to try a different coffee shop, or maybe I need to branch out and try a different coffee to expand. Like just, it's like exercising anything. Mm -hmm. The first time you do it, it's a little painful, honestly, right? Like you're like, maybe you're going to get a cup of coffee that you really detest and you just dropped eight bucks on it. (laughs) And that hurts even more. So I totally get that. But maybe starting with those little things can help to lead you to the bigger things for sure. So it could lead to that eight lane highway. And I see your finger up. So tell me what's on your mind. I just want to make it super clear that, you know, I can be on my eight lane highway of tea and love it. Right. Because now I love the tea that I have and I'm intentionally choosing my tea. So just to make it something that's not about tea, I'm just, I I see in in my head that somebody may be listening and being like, well, I don't like my husband. (laughs) So uh, this is a commitment that you've made. I, you have committed to that tea, right? And you get to choose what you want, right? You get to choose how you interact. It doesn't have to be about changing husbands or going out and trying a whole bunch of other husbands. Right. It doesn't have to be about that. <laughs> I, I strongly advise. I'm like dying laughing over here. <laughs> <laughs> However, sometimes then it just comes down to that personal choice in that moment of if this isn't what I want, what do I want? And sometimes it's the simple things of of not pointing the finger and blaming the husband for not picking up his underwear. Right. Like something like that like having those simple com- oh simple conversations where you're not walking through the house re- resenting him for everything that he does and has no idea what he's doing wrong you know or or maybe he does i mean i'm i'm not talking if he's abusive or something like that there's certain lines for me but it's not always about disrupting the entire apple cart it can be just you know moving it so it's a bit more balanced or choosing a different kind of apple to put in your apple cart. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about a lot is being a cork in the ocean, right? Like it's about not being a cork in the ocean that's just randomly floating wherever you go. And to use the duck analogy, even a duck in the ocean can step, you know, flip off and fly if they need to, right? But you got to start paddling somehow in a direction to be able to get to where you want. Otherwise, you're just going to end up floating. You have said so many amazing things. I love you talked about figuring out how to find your joy. Any t- any person who has decided to create something, some legacy, something bigger than themselves um, has hit lots of roadblocks. They have seen a whole lot of exits, one on top of the other on that highway. They have been down in the hole in the muck. Um, for sure, in the four feet of it, they have done all those things, but choosing joy, choosing to find moments of joy, not everything in the world is going to be all happy sunshine and roses, rainbows and sweet little kittens. It's just not right. But choosing to find moments of joy, choosing to find the win-win or win-draw situation, not a win-lose. We're not trying to make somebody lose so we can gain. Um, choosing to try something new or different, choosing to respond differently than maybe you've reacted before, choosing to ask questions. I love the things that you said about that. Asking questions, ask lots of questions. 
questions of other people, questions of situations, questions of yourself, right? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Is this what I want to do? Does it bring me joy? No, then maybe I need to start thinking about, well, what does bring me joy before I start making decisions about I'm just jumping off the highway and that's the end of that. Like you said, I'm done with this husband. I'm going to try 15 others until I get the one I like. Maybe not the wisest decision there for sure. But legacy makers definitely need to start thinking about that. And if somebody in the audience is thinking, I'm not so happy in my life, maybe the legacy that you're going to create is a happy life, a happy life for yourself, for the people around you, your spouse, your children, your fur babies, your family, your parents, for your friends, for whoever you're coming into contact with. Maybe that's the legacy you're going to create for yourself. And doing that requires change. And that's something Terry has talked about, how to figure out how to get yourself unstuck. It doesn't happen overnight. And generally, it doesn't happen super easily. You're right. It's not like you wake up one morning, and you're like, and I'm done. All is perfect in the world. I've made a 100% turnaround in my life. And it's smooth sailing. Nope, not usually the way it goes. Uh, but making those choices, asking the questions is super useful information. Love everything you said, have laughed a whole lot at the things that you come up with there, Terry, and some of those metaphors, they've made me absolutely giggle. Now, I am sure that somebody else in our audience is going to say, I need more of that woman. So how can people find you? On all socials, I'm at Unstuck Duck on all socials. But I also, I mean, we didn't really touch on it, which is perfectly fine. I have 10 strategies for prevailing over procrastination. Um, and I just want to say procrastination is just a stress management technique. Let's just leave that there. It's because you're about to go into change and you are avoiding the pain of the change. So um, I have that as a download on my website, which is unstuckduck.ca. And um just reach out, really. I mean, I'm all about one-on-one -on -one conversations. I'm all about, you know, just send me a message. You can, I'll send you my booking link. We can hop on a Zoom. I love that. And um, yeah, come and join my ecosystem. <laughs> love that you're ending with the doc metaphor there. Um, so again, those, all that information will be in the show notes. So if you didn't get a chance to write that down or the name unstuck duck hasn't stuck with you, um, then you can absolutely find that all in the show notes, Terry, this has been a really incredible conversation around, I'll say the word pivot. I think it's been a bit overused in the last few years, but change and looking for change instead of staying stuck because this is the way it's always been. Therefore, this is the way it will always be. Having the presence of mind to think, well, this may have been the way it's always been, but it doesn't have to always be this way. Uh, maybe there are some things that I can change. Taking small steps in the direction of the change. So maybe you try a different tea first and start exercising the muscles on embracing change, being open to change. Um, maybe you uh, ask yourself some hard questions because lots of times the reason we are where we are has more to do with us than anybody else. So why am I here? Okay, now what do I want? I love that. So not just staying in the negative, but looking, moving forward. What values are important to me? What, what do I want in my life? Do I want to be in Tahiti? Okay, so do I really want to be in Tahiti or am I just saying that, right? I might actually like living on a mountain somewhere and maybe that's not, Tahiti's not where I want to be. What do I want? How, and now how do I get myself there? And not necessarily having to have all the answers. You certainly didn't. You sought out the help of a coach. And again, I would encourage people, if, if you're finding yourself stuck in the muck, if you're feeling like I need something different and I haven't the foggiest clue where to start, then starting with a conversation with somebody outside your own head is a great place to start. And I encourage you to reach out to Terry if you haven't figured it out yet. She's really fun to talk with and she's a wealth of information and she does ask really good and sometimes really difficult questions. I got to give you the heads up on that. 
Sometimes it's a question that makes you go, oh, I can't blame anybody else. I got to start looking at me. Mm. I'm not sure I like that. Right. But that's an important piece because that's where the change actually begins. Terry, thank you so much for giving us your time today, for sharing your journey, for explaining a lot about that metaphor being stuck down in the muck. And what can we do? What's happening in the world? I am quite certain that for some of our audience members, this resonated very strongly. And I encourage you, if it has, to reach out to Terry, have that conversation and see, you never know, you might end up with a lifelong friend, or maybe she's going to be part of the solution you find for yourself to help you move on into creating the legacy and the life that you absolutely want to live. Terry, thank you so much. I feel so blessed to have had this conversation with you today. It's been an amazing way to start my day. Awesome. Again, reach out. Terry's information will be in the show notes. And maybe she can help you become a flying V-duck versus one stuck in the muck. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please submit a rating and review and share it with a friend. Together, we can inspire more people to start living their legacy too. And let's keep the conversation going. We would love to hear all about your journey in living your legacy and support you along the way. Join our Facebook community, Living Your Legacy Podcast, where we connect, collaborate, and celebrate each other. Can't wait to see you there.